You're listening to Path of Love with David Youngren. To learn more about us, visit pathoflovecenter.com. Welcome to the Path of Love. I'm your host, Marcus, and we're starting part two in David Youngren's book, Awakening to I Am Love. Part two uh, opens our eyes to a new chapter in chapter four, the formation of the ego. But part two has a quote right in the beginning that I'd like to read to you. The egoic false self is who you think you are, but your thinking does not make it true. Let's talk with David. Hey, David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I just want to make sure that we acknowledge that's not my quote, by the way. It's a quote from Richard Rohr, and uh, I love Richard Rohr, so we give a shout out to him for that. But it's very, very true what you said. And by the way, I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself, Marcus? I'm doing very well, thank you. Doing very well. Very excited to get into the formation of the ego. Um, Might help me out a lot in this chapter. Understanding the ego, the false self, for me, and I believe anybody who really begins to study this, is essential to awakening and is essential to be free from fear, guilt, shame, anxiety, and depression, or any emotion rooted in fear. Once you understand and have a better comprehension of truly the ego and how it is not your true self, and most people associate with their ego as their true self, and we'll get into a little bit later on what the ego is. Uh, but even not just that, it's not just about our own personal freedom, but I also think in order to understand Jesus and the Bible or any religious text, we will always misunderstand uh, all these spiritual ancient texts until we begin to really understand the ego. And, you know, a lot of times we've seen that in the Eastern religions, for example, have been more uh have greater understanding of the ego, but to what's really surprised me who, who come out of this Christian background, like you and I, both of us, is that how much of it is interwoven in the Bible. And, um, and I found that very interesting. And, but, but I want to say this about the ego, and before you start asking me all these questions, but <laughs> every area of our life, whether it's politics, race, family, our daily lives, career, everything, it has some kind of relation to the ego. It's the unseen problem behind all the ills of humanity, put it that way. And uh, so it's going to be an interesting few episodes, actually, because it's actually I deal with this subject in four different chapters. And, and I could write an entire book about it, and books have been written about it, but I think it will help a lot of people, hopefully. So... You start out by saying, let's begin with the word I. In the same way that there's real and fake news, there's also a real and a fake I. Understanding this false I provides a clue to what is really holding us back from happiness, peace, and love. How do you start with the word I? Because everyone is about me. It's about me. I, 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 I. Every sentence starts with I a lot. Well, most sentences start with I because you're talking about yourself. Um, How does that create a fake I? What is a fake I? My first 
understanding of this. I don't know if it was the first understanding of this, but one day I was reading an interesting verse in the Bible. It says, Paul says, it is no longer I that live, but yet I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And to me, that was such a foreign concept. How can you say that it is no longer I that live, yet I live, but not I, but Christ? And so what I, what I saw in there as I began to look at the original text, I saw that the word, there were two words that were used for I. One was ego, and the one, other one was being. So there was a distinction between ego and being. And that is what I'm talking about when I make reference to the fake eye and the true eye, that the ego is not who you are. It's, it's a mental concept of who you are. It is images in your, in your head, a narrative in your mind, me and my story that has been developed since childhood that kind of identifies who you are on a superficial level. But that superficial level, when we begin to understand and we'll, as we will begin to try to unravel the pieces of what that means, you will realize that that's not who you are. And the longer we stay trapped in that type of thinking, the less, uh, the more problems we will have with fear and anxiety and worry and, and as I said before, all the ills of the world, all the problems of the world are rooted in that ego. I used to do a show um, and my um, co-host used to always say to people, and it was a relationship, that you're not meeting that person. You're meeting a representative of that person through the first three months of the relationship. Is that have a relationship to I and ego? You're being who you think someone wants you to be? We all have a persona that we create. And that persona has been conditioned and it consists of content and structure. Structure is this inner need that you all, we all have to be loved, to be accepted, to be approved. And we, the egoic way of thinking is that the way we become loved and accepted and approved is by presenting ourselves in a way that will cause others to love us. So it's very much focused on creating creating a persona in the case of a relationship, as you were talking about, it's to create a persona that we believe that the other person will like and accept and fall in love with. So essentially, when you go on that first date, a man may pump iron for the first, you know, few hours beforehand to feel really muscular and strong. So they can, you know, so that hopefully the woman can see this and the woman may put on makeup and find the best outfit and, and, you know, send photos of herself to all her friends to see which, which one do you think I should put on? What is it? It's I'm going to present the version of myself that hopefully you will fall in love with. So notice how basically this whole thing is, is very convoluted in so many ways. 
And that's part of the egoic mind. The egoic mind is incredibly insecure and it needs content. It needs something from the outside to enhance its sense of self. It needs to feel better about itself. And you add artificial things from the outside, whatever it is. You're talking about, you know, here in the relationship, we may talk about uh physical beauty or things that we do to enhance ourselves that way. But we do it in so many other ways as well. So how do we step away from that? And again, that might be something we ask later on uh, in this podcast, but I wanted to know, you stated in the book, adults suffer from amnesia, meaning we used to run naked around by with our, parents running after us and we used to do things that we were completely unaware of as a child but would never do in today's day and age as an adult based upon ego is that what it is when we were young we lived in the embrace of acceptance we never questioned that we were accepted whether we were loved at some point, we began to become conditioned. And when I say con- conditioned, I'm talking about the egoic mind. The egoic mind, essentially, and this I, I think this is quite interesting, the, the egoic mind, the, it lives by identification separation. What do I mean by that? Identification simply means the same as. That's, that's a definition of identification. So we identify with things. We identify with external things, with things that enhances us. We, we begin to identify, for example, it started with a toy. You learn quickly, it's my toy, mm-hmm. my toy, my toy. And we get upset because it's my toy. The older you get, you now begin to identify with new toys, maybe the car or, you know, maybe a house or there's something that is mine. What is that? It's identification and association with things outside yourself. Why does this happen? Well, let me just go, if I can explain this from based on some of the other teachings that we've done so far. As I said before, the root problem of the ego is that we are unaware of our union with God and all things, and thus unconscious of unconditional love. So remember how I talked, Marcus, about your spirit, which is your consciousness. Spirit is consciousness, is awareness deeper than thought, it's your sacred presence, it's the Christ within, whatever name you call it, it is that deepest part within you where your thoughts have ceased and you have come to a complete awareness. It's your truest, it's the I am of you that is always consistent. Consistent. It has never changed. It's always been there. Remember, we used the forest uh, and the fire and all those examples that you brought up. It is when you're completely present, you're aware, your spirit. Mm-hmm. And then you have a heart, which is your inner self-perception, the emotional part, the feeling part of who you are. Now, the feeling part of who you are actually controls what you do and how you live your life. And then you have the mind, which is the external conditioning. Uh, Egoic mind, as I said, lives by identification and separation. So the egoic mind perceives separation. And so the, the goal of the egoic mind is to create an identity 
that is superior to other identities in order to be loved and accepted. Because it perceives that in order for me to be loved and accepted, the, the more my identity is enhanced, the more I will be loved and accepted. Now, it takes many different forms. Sometimes it takes the form of illness. You know, I'm going to be ill because I get attention when I'm ill. So it has all these other, this is very complex. But at the core, there's this separation. There is this kind of a, we, we see ourselves as separate from God and all things, because we view ourselves through the egoic mind that lives by identification and separation. But that places everyone in a group. And if it places everyone in a group, didn't civilization or get started by placing everyone in groups? And how do groups um, associate with an egoic mind. Groups are essentially a collective egoic mind. A group of people have found a common ground and they have created a narrative about that common ground that now defines them. And so you see, for example, if you go back thousands of years ago, people will go to war with another tribe and they would literally kill everyone in the tribe. And they saw themselves as superior to other tribes. They saw themselves as God's special people. We were above the other ones. We were, little, we were different than all the other ones. And that justified killing them. And that justified raping their women. It justified a lot of different things. We created an egoic sense of self because we are all unaware of our deepest and true self, uh, our spirit. We have shut, think about it this way, like if you think of the spirit and it's like a funnel and you have your mind and then you have your heart and then you have your spirit and your spirit is your deeper self and your heart is, is between your mind and your thoughts and all of that is your heart is the feelings that you have about yourself and your heart basically has been shut or closed to your spirit. So now the identification you identify with a bunch of thoughts about you. So if you identify yourself as Marcus, I'm a man, I am what you have all this plethora of different definitions about who you are, which are all mind identification, thought identification. So that's the ego. That's essentially is the ego that it seeks to stand out, to be separate, to be unique. So in the case of the children running around naked, they were just enjoying life. They didn't have that mind identification. They did not have this narrative in their head, that's wrong, you can't do that. You're not supposed to be naked. That's not what we do in this family. This is not who we are. We're not like that. They didn't know they were just enjoying, they were living in the bliss of life, in the innocence of life. And so you even see this in spiritual texts as in the Bible, Adam and Eve, they were in the land of innocence. Eden was a plan of innocence. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. There was no sense of shame. There was no sense of feeling that there's something wrong with me because they were attuned. They were conscious. They were aware of their deepest part within them, which is the very presence, this presence, God the sacred presence, a sense of awareness of all things. So being childlike is where that saying comes from, basically, where you are unaware 
of being aware. Yeah. You are aware that you are aware. You are aware of your thoughts, but you do not associate who you are with your thoughts. Think about it. You have 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day, but you are not your thoughts. I think that the biggest revelation for me was to understand that I am not my thoughts because I have created an image of who I am. I've created a story about who I am in my own head. And like most people, we talk to ourselves. There is a voice inside our head that says who we are, that talks about who we are. And so we have this story. I am like, you know, my nationality, where I was born, what things that I have done, and my occupation, my job, my race, my religion, my politics, my family, my sports team. All of these are stories that we told ourselves. And they're not, it's not like there's anything wrong with having those stories that they give us a sense of, uh, you know, we're able to define ourselves and we're able to talk to others and we understand them. That's it's, it's nothing wrong with that. But what, what I'm saying is, at your truest and deepest self, that's not who you are. Your truest and your deeper self is the being part. As we go back and we talked about what Paul said, it is no longer I that live, it's no longer the ego that lives, but my being is alive. And that being is Christ within, and the Christ within speaks for the Christ is all and in all, or it is the very, in Christ dwells the, the, uh, the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and that fullness of the Godhead in the bodily form was love. If you actually read the spiritual text of the Bible, that was, it was love. The egoic mind, this mind that seeks identification through a story that you tell yourself that seeks separation to stand out from others, that gets power from having enemies, because that's the greatest form of separation you can have to create enemies, which even what you talked about, groups can do that. that that's the egoic mind. But when you come into the place of awakening to the greatest part within you, you awaken to the oneness of it all, and then you begin to see yourself as part of the whole, because you're no longer trapped in your head, you're no longer trapped in your thoughts, but you live in this awareness of this presence that abides within you. So even as a child and growing up to an adult, you start to think that, and I guess it's like you stated with the egoic mind, you, you have to earn certain things or you don't deserve certain things are I have to do good to you know graduate I have to do good to have someone love me I have to do good to make this person happy I have to be perfect in this person's eyes how do you explain or even look at life outside of that realm if that's how civilization has taught you from the beginning to this day? As you said, I think it's a great question, by the way, that we have been conditioned since childhood, essentially, to see the world through the egoic lens. And the moment that we were separated, the moment our hearts was closed, the moment we 
began to feel insecure about running around naked. The moment that we were told we cannot do this, this is not who you are, this is not what you can do. The moment we were spanked, the moment that we were told you're no good, you're, the moment we were made to feel less, and in whatever way it was that we didn't do well in school, or we failed here and we didn't do this, and we did something wrong. Every time we did something wrong as a child and we were scolded for it, we were punished for it, or we were neglected for it, whatever the situation may be, it created or it, it caused the heart to be shut to the innocence, the bliss of consciousness. And now we reverted to getting our approval and a sense of acceptance and love from outside sources. And in order to be loved from outside sources, we have to deserve it. We have to earn it. We have to do something about it. And that's what you're talking about here. We, we, we basically, we, we try to get our parents to love us, to stand out in front of our parents. And we instinctively begin to think through the egoic mind that we have to do something. We have to become something. We have to change. We have to be good and we have to avoid evil. We have to be good to be accepted and loved and approved. But doesn't affirmation or pleasing someone make you feel good inside? I mean, is that a wrong way to look at certain things? Because if you hear, good job, you did a great job. Or you hear, you know, you, you, Pass the test. You deserve the hundred. You look at all the things you put into this, um, and you get some sort of affirmation or some confirmation of your good deed. It makes you feel good inside. So that that's good in the beginning. There's you know you can say yeah that's great that's wonderful it made me feel good. But what happens in five years if you continually told how good you are? Now you begin to believe that report, and now you begin to think that I'm greater than so-and-so, and now you have a disdain or you put other people down or, or you may feel like uh, I'm not deserving, I'm, I'm a hypocrite because I'm really not that great as people think I am. So you start feeling this because you're dealing with this inner turmoil that you're not feeling that great about yourself. So you feel like a hypocrite, a liar, everybody thinks I'm great. And so then you begin to spiral out and you, you look at this and a lot of people are well-known, actresses and actors are very well-known. I mean, they are in front of everybody and they're told how wonderful, how great they are. And then you've, you see them, they, they get hooked on drugs and alcohol and they get involved in all kinds of things. Why? Because they're trying to quiet the nagging doubts that they have inside because what people expect from them and how they see themselves, there's an incongruity. There's not harmony between the two. So what I'm saying, it's all egoic. That's part of the egoic mind. It's all the egoic mind that seeks to find goodness in your own self, in what you're able to do, to stand out, to be better than, to be more special than, to be more enhanced than. It always needs something to compare to. The egoic mind always need a comparison. So it always, whether you think about it out loud, whether you're even aware of it, it always compares itself to something. But it doesn't bring you lasting freedom. It may give you uh, short-term satisfaction, feeling good, 
It may last for a month or two months. It may last for a year. Or it may, may last for just an hour or a minute or so. You know, it depends. There are all these different things. But at some point, you will come crashing down and realize it doesn't bring me the satisfaction I'm longing for. Because the only thing that will bring you satisfaction is when you awaken within to that sacred presence, to that dimension within you beyond your thoughts, to that dimension within you that permeates with love, to that dimension within you that us coming from a Christian background referred to as the Christ within. When you awaken to that, you're no longer needing the affirmation from the outside because you are one with the source of life and you are no longer focused on yourself to stand out, but you begin to see the union and yourself in others. You have entered into the divine flow. You're aware of the divine flow in all things. And we begin to experience that flow as love, a deep connection, a mystical union with God and one another. And that frees us from all the negative emotions and destructive emotions that we fall into because of the egoic mind. So going back, and I'm, I know I might be beating this down because it's such ingrained in people's minds, is with an egoic mind, it seems like trying to become valedictorian uh, of, your, of your school and you're trying to beat someone out in that realm. Being on a sports team and trying to win on that sports team or be the best player on that team. Are you saying once you have awareness and a goic mind goes away, is it an example of being instead of the best person on the team, everybody on the team is equal and the same and they all contribute and they're all just as good and they're all just as great and you guys win together? I'm not exactly saying that because when you play in a team, there are some people who are better players. You may be the best player on the team. You may be by far the best player. So it's not like everybody's like, we're not trying to get a point of equality in one sense. Of course, everyone is equal in the sense of, you know, your truest and deeper self, but we're not all equal. And when it comes to talents and abilities, some people are more talented than others. Some people are very gifted and some people are gifted in other things. So we all have our different talents. So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm more saying is that if you get your sense of satisfaction, if you get your sense of identity from that, it will ultimately fail you. Because let's say that you're the best person on a team. You're the best basketball player. And you and I played basketball in, in the past. I don't know who's the best player, but let's say that you're the best player. And we, you get, you know, or I can say I'm the best player, whatever. If I get my sense of identity from that, I will always be let down because at some moment, someone else would come along who is better than me. And then my world would come crashing down because my identity was wrapped up in how well I played on the court or how well I did on the sports team or if, if I'm very good looking or beautiful or whatever the case would be. I get my sense of identity from that. And, and at some point, it will all come crashing down. Or if I think I'm the smartest person in the room, think about people who were the smartest kids in high school. And when they go to university, they're dealing with all these doubts. 
because now there are a bunch of other kids who are just as smart as them and even smarter than them. So now they begin to recognize I'm no longer the smartest person. Then the whole self-worth, everything comes collapsing and they feel horrible because their identity is wrapped up in something that they're good in, something where they stand out, something that has separated them from the rest. And it's nothing wrong with being good at things, but when your identity is in that, that's when you have lasting problems in your life. And that's what leads to fear and shame and, and guilt and anxiety and depression and all these other fear-induced emotions. And that's what you stated is, that's when those voices in your mind are telling you either you have to be the best or you have to do this, you have to get here, or you're not good enough for that, or this person is better than you. How do you suppress those? How do you get rid of those voices? You can't ever suppress them because the more you try, and I think this is what religion tries to do, it tries to tell you, you know, you just got to stop thinking like that. And yeah, people say that I tried that, man, I tried that over and over again. I can't stop thinking like these thoughts. Have you ever noticed, and I was thinking about this, Marcus, you can't control your thoughts. How many of us have sometimes bad thoughts, thoughts that we don't like? We try to, we, we try not to have those thoughts, right? We say, well, I'm not going to have those thoughts. I'm not going to think on those thoughts, and, but we can't help ourselves. It's like we don't control the thoughts. The thoughts just flow in, and we are not under the control of those thoughts. So how do you then, the question is, how can you be free from the thoughts that you don't have any control over? They control you. They flow in and out like uh, there's no tomorrow. You don't, you don't have a say in the matter. They just come in and notice the words I'm using. I have no say. You have no say. Because your truest and your deepest self it's not the thoughts. That's not you. The thoughts have all been coming from outside. You have been programmed by things. The mind has been programmed by things over the years and things you have heard and things that people have told you and, and all of that. But what has remained constant, going back to what we talked about, maybe it was last episode or the episode before that or what we've been talking about throughout this series, the truest, deepest I am is awareness beyond thoughts. And when I say awareness, I mean awareness. It's not like you're asleep, you're aware. So when it comes to having these thoughts, going back to your question, to answer your question about the egoic thinking, how can you free yourself from these thoughts? It starts by being aware of them. Just pause and disconnect yourself or detach yourself from those thoughts. You are not your, those thoughts. You are the awareness, you are the spirit, you are the consciousness, you are the presence that observes those thoughts. And when you begin to observe them over and over again, they will begin to lessen in power over you because you, you have detached yourself from them. So you kind of related it to a story in the book that you went through as a child. And the teacher said, you can only move your eyes twice while you're reading a page uh, or a sentence, or you can, it, that means you're, you're good. If you move your eyes once, you're the best, basically. If you move your eyes more than two times, then you're not as good in reading as you should be. 
I mean, me personally, I would have been five, six, seven times on one word. But <laughs> I mean, and you spoke about that well, on how that that situation may have affected you. I don't want to blame the teacher because she didn't actually say it. What she said, I want to test your ability to read. But implied in that question was she was going to do this in front of the entire class. And she was going to walk through the entire class and everybody was going to get checked. And so the egoic mind then is thinking, I have to stand out to be special, to be seen. I'm among gifted kids in the gifted class. I have to be special. I have to stand out. Otherwise, I will be diminished. My sense of self will be diminished. So here I am. She's not saying this, but everyone, most of the people, they read an entire line in the book and they move their eyes twice. And some people even do it just once. The egoic mind wants to be the best, wants to stand out. So I'm thinking, well, I am smarter. I am a smart person. I'm an intelligent person. I am this. So then I'm almost one of the last ones. I think I might have been the last person to be tested. And the person before me, was the one person in class that everybody thought, what is he doing there? He doesn't seem to be that smart. It was just a judgment we made. The egoic mind makes judgment about other people in order to enhance a sense of self, to separate yourself from them. And so he moved his eyes twice. So when it came to me, I'm thinking, well, I better move my eyes at least once or the most twice. I can, I'm smarter than he is. I know that for sure. But there's like this, so on one end, you feel insecure, and then there's another thing, voice that makes you say, well, I'm greatest, but then you feel like maybe I'm not. So there's always doubt. You struggle with these thoughts, these plethora of thoughts, right? So when it came to me, I moved my eyes three times. And I thought, well, do it again, I said to her, do it again. I don't think that's correct. And I can't remember exactly what happened. She did it again, and I, and I moved my eyes three times. I left the class. And I got home and I'm thinking about this because implied, you see, I have now been diminished in front of the class, right? I've been diminished my sense of self. I consider myself smartest, consider myself intelligent. Now I've been diminished in my identity as a smart person, as an intelligent person in front of the class. So now I perceive myself as less intelligent. Now I try to walk away from those feelings. I forget about them because it's too painful to think about. But it doesn't mean they've gone away. That just means that they have been programmed into my subconscious, into my heart, and they are now part of my sense of identity. My identity is that I may not be as smart as those other kids. And so what happened, my grades began to deteriorate because of it. My grades began to fail because of it. I didn't do well in school. I stopped studying. Why? Because my internal image of myself, the story that I had of myself had changed. I thought I was smart. I thought I was intelligent, but my sense of self had been diminished in my own eyes. And therefore, I had to find another outlet where I could now stand out. But you see how deceptive this egoic mind is? Because my identity was wrapped up in this image of what I had to be and in what I had to do in order to be loved and accepted and approved. And it wasn't you that, or it wasn't your teacher that criticized you in the classroom. It was your mind and your thoughts 
that put you in that realm? The egoic mind categorized me because that's what the ego mind does. The ego mind always needs something to compare to. So you see this even the collective. We talked about this last time and you brought up race and then I listened to it afterwards. I think I didn't ever really answered your question. But anyhow, so what happened, I think you talked about race. We egoically is the same way. So you think about white and black and and Hispanic and and the other issues, racial issues that we may have in our nation. And then you think religious issues, you have like uh, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, whatever. We internally and maybe unconsciously often rank ourselves as little superior to others. Unless we have been told that we're not, then we feel less about ourselves. But then there is a sense of rebellion, a sense of anger, a sense of bitterness about that and resentment. And there is grief and there's all these other feelings that we have to fight. But that's also egoic. That's also part of the egoic mind. But the racial tensions is that some people need to feel superior to others in order to, to feel that they are loved, accepted and approved. It's the egoic mind. And as I said before, and, and, and as we begin to talk more and more about this, we'll begin to see that the egoic mind is the cause of all the dysfunctions, all our problems. It triggers anger, fear, anxiety, worry. It triggers, it leads to war, conflict, racial tension, racism, slavery, all of those things. I was just started watching this uh, Netflix, no, one of the series, or maybe it's Netflix or Amazon, whatever it is, on uh, the underground. Railroad. I don't know what they call it, uh, the underground train or something like that. Underground railroad, yeah. The uh, underground railroad. Very fascinating because it's interesting in that first episode, I only watched the first episode so far, it's interesting how this white man, clothed himself in religious language to justify putting black people down and to somehow or another to enhance himself and to stand out. And he had now religion to back him. He thought he had religion and he, and he, he could quote scriptures. He quoted scriptures and he used those to enhance himself to somehow another quiet inner voice that I am not enough. There's something missing in my life. And a lot of times, if you will actually study, if you actually see some of these people, a lot of these people who have this tendency to be very violent toward anybody else, they were greatly criticized by the father and greatly put down by the father and their parent or some authority in their life. And now they take it out on somebody else that they feel superior to. Do adults consciously understand uh, they're doing this because a lot of people don't have control over their subconscious. So do they consciously know that this is what they're doing? Most people are lost in their thoughts and the egoic thoughts. The egoic thoughts all evolve around me. And let me put it this way. It's egoic because there's a sense of self or I ego in every thought, every memory, every interpretation, every opinion, every viewpoint, every reaction, every emotion, every emotion. And they are unconscious, spiritually speaking. And we talked about this last time. They are like, they're unconscious and they are not awake. They're not aware of their deepest part 
they are trapped in their heads and they don't know it. So how do you fix that? I mean, we have spoken about the egoic mind um, and we've spoken about the dangers of it, as I would say. How do you turn what has been a consistent level of life for you into something different? It starts with, as I said, an awareness. It's waking up, waking up to your truest and deepest self, your spirit, being conscious, being aware, being present. And so many people have, and I think this is the beauty of Jesus when he talks about Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. One of the things that a lot of people who are Christians and people outside who are not Christians, they don't understand this. They never heard this necessarily taught. The word for salvation, the way we perceive it and the way it's been taught in church has caused so much turmoil and problems because that word is interpreted through the egoic lens through the egoic mind. Salvation simply says, if you accept Jesus, then you are saved and you're going to go into eternity with God. And that is pleasing to the ego, the ego that now has accepted Jesus as salvation. So then they feel I'm part of this group. I'm part of this special group. I'm a Christian. I'm now Jesus saved me. I'm on my way to heaven. And then they meet someone who's not, not, and they preach to them and say, you're going to hell. You're doing all these different things. They may not say those exact words, but that is essentially the underlying message. But the word for, for salvation is so-so, which means healed. Now, there's a whole different connotation when you mention the word healed than salvation. So when, when the beauty of Jesus, when he says, I come to heal the brokenhearted, I've come to save, or I come to heal hearts that are entrenched, who have been hurt, who have been wounded, who have been hearts that have been close to your essential essence of who you are because of all the things that have happened in your life, all the program that's taking place. Jesus came to heal and to open your heart open your sense of emotions so that you become aware of the presence, the sacred presence that is in you, that is in all things. So how did, how did Jesus do that? He said, I am. He started talking about the I am. You said, you have an I am. What is your I am? It's your consciousness. It's your spirit. It's your awareness. It's, your, it's the sacred presence within you. It's the Christ within you. That which is deepest beyond thought is the real you. When you pause long enough and you do this consistently, I do this through meditation. I do this through a number of different ways. Every day I go outside, maybe I'll take the dog for a walk and I look at the trees and I'm just become like, I have no other thoughts. I'm just observing the trees. I feel the wind. I hear the birds singing and chirping and, and, I'm just aware. I'm not making any judgment. I'm not labeling anything. I'm not thinking this is a bird and that's a be that's beautiful and that's ugly. I, I'm just aware. I'm just completely present with those trees. Or when I meditate, I close my eyes and I become aware. I can feel my hands. I feel the aliveness in my hands. If you just take a few moments right now, Marcus, and you just Focus and just aware of your hands. What you will begin to feel after a while, you will feel a sense of aliveness in your fingers. 
or in your body, you feel the aliveness inside of you. And the more you begin to do that, you, you begin to connect with the deepest part of yourself. And the more you do that, it frees you from all these negative emotions, your egoic mind. And then as you begin to observe, as I said, then as you begin to observe these thoughts as foreign entities, literally, that rushes through your mind, and you begin to observe them, you don't identify them as being you, the negativity and all that. You just, you don't observe them as being you. Even the positive things are said about you. You don't, you just like, oh, these are just words, but the words is not who you are. The real you, the true you is beyond words. Words are just consonants and consonants and vowels. And that's it. It's like, it's very minimal. But once you move beyond that, and just observe it and realize I am pure awareness, pure awareness, pure spirit that is deeper than thought, sacred presence. That is who, that's my deepest and truest self. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying about the bad thoughts that come in your mind or the bad things that uh, everyone has experienced, but will never act on but has experienced and you controlling those thoughts and saying, those aren't valid. They're just words, like you said, and they're not a definition of myself. They're just a, a person running through my mind, just running through. Don't mean anything. Yes. To one extent that is true, but even those words and labeling it and calling it something is a form of another word. It's another form of egoic mind because it needs to create a label and needs to define it. What I'm talking about is just being aware of them. If, if you would actually take a moment when you have these crazy thoughts and you just say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to observe my thoughts. I'm not going to make any judgment, bad or worse, whether it's me or not me. I'm just going to sit and observe it. Immediately, you will begin to detach from those thoughts. You will recognize what these words are for what they are. They are words, they are thoughts, they are mental concepts, but your true self is not a mental concept. Your true self is the eternal I am consciousness. And I keep going back to these words, pure awareness sacred presence, the Christ that permeates with love. So something you said at the end of the book is to end the constant inner chatter of the ego that is the cause of the suffering in our mind. We need to regain awareness of the effervescent spirit of love or true self within us. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned that at the end of this chapter that most people suffer in their minds. They have tremendous suffering in their minds. Not all the time, but they go through periods of suffering. And that's not necessarily bad because it brings you to the end. As we talked about as I raised from the very beginning, that... Uh, reference from Paul when they said, it's no longer I, the ego that lives, yet I live, my being is alive. 
and the life I now live is, you know, I have, Christ lives in me. What is Christ? Christ is a fullness of the Godhead dwelling in bodily form. What does that mean? It is an awareness of your union. God literally is in you, Marcus. Isn't that like incredible? We, we heard it and people have talked about it and people say it, but most of the time it's nothing more than a thought. It's a concept in a person's mind. And that's why it doesn't work because we create another egoic pattern out of it, another egoic structure that says, okay, you don't believe that or you don't stand for that. Okay, well, I'm a little bit better than you because I have God, Christ in me, and you don't understand this. So you, I'm a little bit superior to you. That's precisely what the ego is. But when you awaken, to that presence, when you're aware of that presence, when you just come to that effervescent spirit of love, when you awaken to that inside of you, the barriers and the separation begin to fade away and you're just aware. And so even when someone does you wrong, my initial instinct is because I identify with my rightness, and I made an enemy out of them because of their wrongness. Immediately, my ego is strengthened. It's a way to strengthen my ego. My ego feels empowered because I am not like that terrible, lousy, incredibly downright, horrible person. I'm not like anything like them. And you feel better about yourself. But notice when you do that, it never makes you feel good. It makes you feel initially good for a moment. But then... It, it always leads to moodiness. It leads to feelings of sadness, anxiety, worry, and all different kinds of emotions. But what if you forgive? And when I say forgive, I'm talking about to see beyond the mental construct of the person who offended you, to see beyond their egoic mind and see their effervescent spirit of love, the Christ within, the sacred presence, the awareness, the consciousness, and see them for what they truly are, the eternal I am. Once you begin to see that, it, it just frees you. Once you're aware of that, it frees you. And so I'm, I appreciate, and then we've the part one of, of your book, Awakening to I am love. And the reason I say that is you prepared us through chapter one, the search for freedom, chapter two, what is love, and chapter three, stage of consciousness for part two, the false self, and chapter four, the formation of the ego. And you seem like you gave us tools in those first three chapters on how to address our ego and how to recognize the tools that are necessary and the awareness that is needed in order to not allow that ego or not be affected by that ego as much as you would if you hadn't read those chapters. You said something very interesting, Marcus, just uh, maybe 15 minutes ago. You made the comment that it seems like 
people have been trapped in this egoic mind for thousands and thousands of years. We're not even aware of it. You alluded to this, that how can we get out of something that basically we don't even know exists because we're so conditioned since childhood, all that we've ever seen, we've seen in our parents, we've seen in everybody, nobody, everybody lives in, under that condition, egoic mind. You made that incredible comment, which is very, very true. And so when I wrote the book, it was, I had to explain things that are maybe a bit complex at first to understand because the mind, I know it's taken me so many years. It's taken me since 2006 when I began to experience a little bit of this, just a little taste of this. It's taken me all these years and I still cannot articulate it. I listen to myself and I say, I, I could say this a lot better. I, I listen to myself not to judge, but just hopefully being able to, articulate this in a way that people will understand it. But then at the same time, I'm fully aware that I cannot explain these concepts as mere words, because as long as they are mere words, they won't benefit people anyhow. People have to catch this. People have to become aware of this. And I trust that people who are listening to this podcast, the more they listen, they listen with more, they listen beyond the way I speak or the way you speak or the clumps way that I try to explain things. And I don't say that to somehow or another, that, that can be an egoic way of speaking as well, trying to be humble. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But, you know, I recognize that I'm not able to necessarily articulate this exactly the way I want to, but, but that's not really that important. What is important is that the spirit of what I'm saying, that they will catch it. So even if people are listening to this right now, if they would just take a few moments and just become aware of the aliveness within their body, the aliveness within their fingers. If the, you may have to close your eyes for a while, but after a while, you don't need to close your eyes anymore. I can, I can at any moment feel the aliveness in my fingers. And a lot of people can feel the aliveness right away. You begin to feel it. And when you're just feeling the aliveness, you are no longer trapped in your egoic mind. You're just feeling, you're just aware of it. And that is the beginning of freedom. Well, I want to say thank you very much for explaining and taking us on that ride of the definition of an egoic mind. And I encourage all your listeners to maybe go back and read part one, the search for freedom and what is love and stage of consciousness after you've already read the formation of the of of ego and really see the things and the tools that David has given you in order to overcome or understand more about an egoic mind the more i understand jesus the more i walk this life the more i understand jesus in a totally different way than I've ever had before. But he said something very interesting. 
when he gave the Sermon on the Mountain, he started with these words, the most famous sermon that he ever gave, the most famous sermon ever given in history. He starts with these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of heaven is not someplace far away. The kingdom of heaven is a dimension within you where the love, joy, peace, and the qualities of God are yours. What is being poor in spirit? I never could understand this. For so many years, I was trying to understand what does it mean to be a poor in spirit? Like you're supposed to be rich in spirit, maybe, or no, no. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What, is, what, does it, what does it mean? In other words, there is no inner baggage. There is no egoic identification, not with things, not with any mental concept that have a sense of self in them. In other words, you're free from the egoic mind. You are poor in spirit. The way you see the world is through that pure, unconditioned, unfiltered consciousness. And what you will begin to see is the kingdom of heaven in yourself, but also in all things. Well said. And I understand. Thank you, David. Thank you very much for um, explaining this chapter to us. Um, and I encourage all the listeners to continue to listen. And if you haven't picked up the book and you're not following along, please. And I encourage you with everything in me to pick up Awakening to I Am Love by David Youngren and follow along. It will change your life. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Path of Love with David Youngren. This podcast is produced by the Path of Love Center, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, and sharing it with a friend. Together, we can grow an inclusive community around the transformational work of love. To learn more about Path of Love and get daily wisdom seeds sent to your email inbox, visit pathoflovecenter.com. You can also download David Youngren's guided audio meditation, Healing Stillness, for free at our website. From all of us at Path of Love, may love, joy, and peace be with you always.